Just like that, the second hour is here for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. You can join us on YouTube. We hope you subscribe. Hit the like button while you're there if you're enjoying the program. We've got Charlie Arnold from Outkick who will join us in 20 minutes. Uh, and coming up, the play-by-play voice of the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets and Heat nodded at a game apiece now as they head back to Miami. Chris Marlowe, who covers the team and is the play-by-play voice of the Nuggets. He'll be with us in hour number three, about an hour and a half from, from right now. Chad, we know the SEC is sticking with the eight-game model. They're adding a Power 5 game, though, that's going to be required starting next season, 2024. So not this upcoming season, but 2024. And you ask, why? Well, think about where we're headed with the 12-team playoff. And then as on three points out, if you just look at the, the teams this upcoming season in a couple of months, teams that are playing 10 or more Power 5 schools in 2023, the ACC, 10 of the 14 programs are. The Big Ten, 13 of the 14 programs are playing 10 or more Power 5 schools. Big 12 has 11 of 14, and the Pac-12, 10 of 12. Meanwhile, the SEC currently, 2 of 14. Two programs of 14 playing a Power 5 program um, outside of uh, the uh, 10 or more Power 5 programs uh, outside of just their eight-game conference schedule. But here's where I understand where the SEC is coming from. They have a model where right now, 14 playoff, they're getting at least one sometimes two programs in to the, the, you've got the championship in the semifinal for the college football playoff and the SEC is well represented. It doesn't actually hurt them that they're not playing up the way the other conferences are. The extra conference game is going to happen, I think, down the road because I think ESPN and ABC and Disney will pay more for that extra game. That's why we see the NFL model work so well from the broadcast rights standpoint. But as far as the Power Five and adding the extra Power Five, that would still only put them at a mandatory nine schools, or excuse me, nine teams from the Power Five on the 12-game slate. I don't think the SEC is, is receiving any type of slack from the committee in that room based on the schedule because they're already playing the tough schedule especially at the top where it's perceived that Alabama and Georgia, now LSU, who was in the SEC title game, they're back and they're facing stiff competition, sometimes losing to that competition throughout the conference slate. I just never saw – I'm in the minority here and that I'm totally fine with this compromise of everyone now adding a Power 5 opponent to the non-conference schedule. I just never saw the benefit to the coaches and individual programs to do this if there's not a boatload of money coming with it immediately. And they're locked into a contract with ESPN. I totally get it if ESPN saying, we're not going to pay you any more right now. If you want to do this, great. That's better inventory and product for us. But we're not going to pay you any more money. It's a nice bargaining chip for the next TV contract for the SEC. Or or an addition to it. But this is a good compromise. And, And this is part of the reason. Florida plays Florida State. Kentucky plays Louisville. South Carolina plays Clemson. Georgia plays Georgia Tech. Texas and Oklahoma will come into the league probably wanting to keep one of their old school rivalries out of conference or play another Power 5 team from the Big 12. 
where they're coming mm-hmm. from. I'm guessing. I don't know that the Big 12 is going to want to do that because they hate Texas and Oklahoma because they bolted for the SEC. But either way, I could envision those two programs also having a constant Power 5 opponent that is outside of the SEC. That's virtually half of the conference right there. So that half of the conference has to be saying, why would we want to add a ninth conference game if you're Florida, for example, on top of playing Florida State every year is a huge rivalry game inside the state. You're South Carolina. You're saying, we're already playing Clemson. That's good enough. That's pretty tough. That team's routinely winning the ACC or in the college football playoff, and we play them annually. So they're now calling for the rest of the league to pick up the slack and say, hey, Tennessee, I know it's a big inconvenience for you to play Virginia this year to open the season, but let's do one of those every year. And Tennessee may be a bad example because they normally play one non-SEC Power 5 opponent. But I'm totally fine with these SEC teams now adding one school you're not normally going to see on the schedule every year outside of the SEC while keeping the eight games within the conference. The other part of this is these coaches get kickbacks for getting to bowl games. So if you're in the bottom half of the SEC – I don't think you're dying to get that ninth SEC game. Well, it depends. If it's in your contract to get money for going to a bowl. It depends, though. So. There could be other contracts in state if you win four SEC games, let's say. Yeah. You get money. Right. That would help them, having an extra opportunity. But you but you have certain expectation levels. So, so I like the schedule model for a, a program like Ole Miss. Ole Miss needs to be, you know, I think they're the prime example. Last year's schedule. When you start to look around and see how they started the season. Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa. Then they play Kentucky, Vandy, Auburn. They're getting to their conference slate, which actually benefited them too. But right out of the gate, too like, easy. if you're trying to get into a 12-team playoff and you're making an argument that you're not in the SEC title game, but you're deserving to be in one of the 12 because you're in the Southeastern Conference, you got to play a better schedule non-conference than what this is. And Lane Kiffin is one of, what, 10 to 12 coaches right now that are making more than $7 million per year. Um, and, and by and large, 8 or $9 million is now the going rate. Just ask Lane Kiffin, who got a big raise at Ole Miss to stay instead of go to Auburn. Point being, I think the schedule must improve based on expectation level because the 12-team playoff is going to take away from, oh, you made it to the New Year's Day Bowl, you're now playing the Gator Bowl, you're here, there. I don't think it means as much and you're still going to have people coming for your seat based on the fact that you're not in the 12-team playoff often enough when other rivals are, especially without the divisions now and how things stack up. Yeah, and I just don't think there's – the SEC is almost um, – uh, they're – Bulletproof? Not, yeah, not – when it comes to playoff and it comes to perception, they're bulletproof. And I don't think a ninth SEC game, ninth conference game is going to affect them that much. Now, with this, you're always going to have those teams I mentioned that have the rivalry that's going to be a big game. But as long as you're playing someone outside of your conference, the Power Five, no one is going to look at that and say, you don't, you're not going to be in. We're long past the days of 13-0 and Auburn being left out of a national championship game because they played four patsies in the non-conference. Especially if you're, it's mandatory to play one other Power Five school. They're going to be fine. It's a conference that will be just fine. Yeah, and they will continue to flourish like the Big Ten. Correct. The, the, the two top programs will continue to be and it's, it's also, the, the it's, top conference. It's good for fodder. It's good for rivalry. It's good for hatred 
which many times yeah. drives sports and makes it more entertaining. The Big Ten now can sit back and say, you're a soft conference. We play nine conference games here in the Big Ten. You can't even get out of the eight. And you're going to play some weakling in November, and we don't. We play conference games. Well, good for you, Big Ten. You're not winning a lot of national titles, but you have that. So, granted, you will always have that right now. And they got their two in last, and, and last year, free, and it didn't matter. Hey, feel free to make that argument. That's a, that's a fun argument to have with an SEC fan if you're a Big Ten fan. What do you think, Davey? Well, the one point I wanted to add, and Chad, you're kind of hitting around this, but if the SEC, the main goal is making money, I would argue that going to a ninth game right now, if ESPN's not poning up, you have a better chance of losing out on money because with the college football playoff expansion, let's say you're a team that's currently 10th, and then you have that one extra loss there that might drop you to 14th, so you're out of being in the college football playoff, and that hurts you from that standpoint. And right now, I don't see the incentive to go that extra conference game, and until the SEC gets that, I don't see it happening. It also, this is a smaller part of it, but in terms of money, Davey, you're going to be losing out money because you're going to be buying out the teams you've already scheduled in, in advance with the ninth game. Each program would then have to shell out at least maybe a quarter to half of the money they were going to bring them in because they're buying them out of a game. A lot of these teams already have at least one Power 5 non-conference game a year. Yeah. They're not going to have to buy and, out of anything under this Georgia format. Georgia would have, but they had scheduled Oklahoma next year. Yeah, but you know, you add those up. They made them cancel it that It sounds series. like peanuts with the TV contract, the money game, but you add it up, it, it becomes substantial. Mm-hmm. If every school's having to buy out multiple future opponents because they're quickly moving, pivoting yeah. to a nine-game conference schedule. Well, the only thing I can think of is remember when the big – 12 got rid of their conference championship game we would need to see like the college football playoff committee say hey we're going to uh, hurt you until you actually put this game back on the line and then we saw TCU and Baylor miss out on a college football playoff opportunity because they didn't have that main game there they didn't have the winner they didn't have the true winner of that of that matchup I'm interested to see where it goes because I, I, I felt like what Sankey said after the spring meetings was a lot like what Goodell did Prior to voting through, he, he found enough votes to vote through the Thursday night football flex when it had actually failed, but they didn't take an official vote two months ago. But he ended up getting what he wanted, which was more money coming in, and he convinced the owners, you're going to have more money. Eventually, ABC, ESPN, whatever, yeah, they'll pay it, for in more. order to guarantee the extra game, whatever that game is, it would be through the conference, and they'll pony up and pay more. Biggest shock to the system for college football fans in viewing the SEC that no one's talking about right now is no more divisions. Yeah. That is going to be a shock to the system. It wasn't as big of a shock because You're right. college basketball is not as big, but it just sort of felt right when they did away with the divisions and college basketball in the SEC and it, and it went to straight down 1 through 14. This is going to be a big difference when you start to look at 1 through 16 in SEC football and not pairing it up with different divisions. Because it would have been Georgia-Tennessee, right? Nothing to talk about right now. That's just a precursor. It will happen. To me, that's a preview of what to expect. That's going to be the big shock to the system. It will happen. Is when that goes into just one division in the SEC. Was Ozuna shocked that he was benched for being lazy, Chad? Probably, Hutton, and that's a big part of why I have an issue with a lot of pro sports right now. Bobby Cox, who is the mentor to Brian Snedker, would pull your ass out of a game so quickly. Fast. No matter who you were, if you were loafing at any point. Famous example is Andrew Jones during a a regular season game is loafing in the outfield and center, does not get to a ball, bounces in front of him, and Bobby Cox gave it the old bullpen. 
Gave me the, bring me the righty. Immediately. I don't even know who the backup center fielder was, but one out in the second or third inning, whenever it was, to hell with it. Come here. And he came out to the top of the dugout steps, and he pulled Andrew Jones, star Atlanta Braves player, off the field. I love what Brian Snicker did yesterday. Marcelo Zuna, for those who haven't seen it, hit a 415-foot single. <laughs> Why was it a 415-foot single? Because the dude with the longest backswing in baseball history sat there and admired it at home plate, and it hits the top of the wall in center field in Arizona, bounces back in, and because he's watching the play, it is a single. My only complaint with Brian Snickers, he did not pull him off the base and put in Sean Murphy as a pinch runner immediately and take him out of the game. He waited an inning and a half to pinch hit Sean Murphy for him and get him out of the game. Should have happened immediately. At least it happened. Most Major League Baseball managers wouldn't do it at all. So I credit Brian Snicker with at least having the courage to do it. Having the, I can't believe I'm saying this. Having the courage <laughs> to pull a $36 million player. The guy signed a six-year, $36 million deal with the Braves. And he is watching a ball hit the top of the wall. I expect my 8U softball team to run the play out at first base. I expect high school and college players to run through first base and run when they hit the ball. I certainly expect major leaguer, 32-year-old, not a spring chicken, veteran Major League Baseball player, Marcelo Zuna, who is making $36 million to run when he hits a ball that is headed towards the center field wall. Hits the top of the wall, 415-foot single. Good job, Brian Snitker, for pulling him. Should have been a lot earlier than that inning-and-a-half gap they had. They had to actually ask him, was it for loafing in the, in the play, for not playing hard? And he said yes, and also kind of said, and I guarantee you Marcelo Zuna feels worse about being pulled for lack of effort than, than, than anyone on the team, which is I understandably kind of protecting the guy and not embarrassing him more. But didn't he do this for, with happened? Acuna? Like, was it last season or the year prior? He's done it with Acuna. And, and, and it worked. Freddie Freeman also, when he was a Brave, got into it with Ronald Acuna Jr. a number of times. Hutton, this is a problem in baseball. People love to gush about the college game and all the fun the kids are having. You know what else they're doing? They're loafing at times. They like to admire home runs. This is almost a trickle-up effect. Yeah, it's the new. It's the I, touchdown celebration. I feel like college baseball has taken it to the extreme with celebrations, but, I mean, Major League Baseball teams weren't wearing a stupid hat when they hit a home run <laughs> until college did it, right? The Braves had that big hat they put on. They had to change it because of the, the deal with New Era that there was a different hat they had, but now they do something different but, but, in there. These college kids have the celebration. Yeah, They do all this stuff after hitting a home run. I saw, I tuned in to uh, Tennessee Clemson, which I know Clay led a show with today on Outkick the Show. Um, it was I tuned in game. the last few innings of that. I saw four different bat spikes for a double. <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking like tossing the bat. I'm talking like slinging a bat towards a dugout, almost trying to injure someone to make a show of it with the other team. This is a college baseball trickle-up effect on Major League Baseball. I'm good with the fun. I'm good with the celebrations that dug out amongst teams. I'm not good with that. I don't like when it becomes this. Acuna Jr. wears thin on me at times, too. I love him. The dude's the front-runner for MVP right now. He's playing great. But you better be damn sure it's an upper-deck shot if you're well, going to stand and admire something. I think part of it, though, is the 
inability for a pitcher to get over the fact that he's being shown up by the batter, it's now about what's going on in the dugout instead of at the plate. I think it's a, and I think that's what college ended up doing because the pitchers are so butthurt over the fact they gave up a home run and you're sitting there admiring the the work of your of your craft. You know, how dare you show me up? You're going to get one in the ribs the next time up. Now it's the entire dugout that's doing it, not the one individual. I think it gets in their heads too. I mean, I do think that there is an actual gamesmanship advantage to making a ruckus in the dugout after a home run because pitchers can hear that yeah. and see that when it's going on. And when that celebration lasts that long and they're in there, ah, and they're putting a big hat on them, they're <laughs> spraying them with water and they're, you know. I Funneling love, a beer. Yes, thank you. The Baltimore. Orioles one with the fake funnel of water and they're all gathering around <laughs> and getting on one knee and celebrating <laughs> the guy. Like if you're there to pitch to the next batter, you're hearing that bleep, and it is affecting you. I don't I, care I who you are. Like the human response is, "Good Lord, can they get over that bomb I just gave up, please, sometime soon?" And it it does. Some guys thrive off of it. It makes them angry. You know, we all had the buddy who would like anger cry. That that, that oh, wasn't yeah. good for the soul when that happened yeah. in high school. He couldn't handle the emotions. But like other guys can just internalize that and bring better stuff out, competition wise. But I think for some pitchers, it probably affects him. We'll ask um, Kurt Schilling about it next time he comes on the show. That's one I want to ask him. I guarantee you he wasn't that affected by things that were going on in the dugout. No, but that, they didn't but have you, this going on. I bet, I bet you hear it. You know, if he was a part of this game today, you'd be hearing those celebrations. And maybe that is part of it where they know they're negatively affecting the opposing pitcher when they do some of this stuff, and it helps them. Uh, so what's affecting the NFL right now in rosters is gambling, wagering by players. Uh, Ari Miroff, who is citing uh, Matt Robotowski of Sports Handle, a Colts player is being investigated for gambling on games, and there's evidence the player placed hundreds of wagers, including bets on the Colts. And that's uh, all the information they have at this point, is that it's a Colts player, hundreds of wagers, including bets on his own team. The rest of the league is saying, please be a star player. Please be a star player. It doesn't sound like it is. Going to be a, um, uh, a they're, they're just saying the average fan has heard of the player. Like Again, like I don't know why they're not putting the name out if you're reporting all of this and you're hinting at who it might be. Is there someone the NFL would try to protect if they caught wind of them betting? Let's say that... No, um, they, they can't afford to have that information get out. No. Three or four star players bet on a college football game on a team bus that were uh, star quarterbacks in the league. A source is calling it pervasive sports wagering activities. That's, that's quote unquote pervasive. That's above and beyond what Jamison Williams is accused of doing. Yes, yeah, that that would be the indefinite suspension. Yeah, type. that's not going to be six games. Charlie Arnold joins us when we come back of the Outkick Network. We get her take on Jamil Hill, the the comment that and tweet that she put out about, hey, uh, why don't you give a minority a hundred million dollars like you did Rogan speaking to uh, uh, talking about Spotify? We'll get. Her take there, and plus, women continuing to stand up for sports rights for women. That's next on Hotline. We are live at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Huddy Withrow, Hot Mike across the Outkick Network, one of our new teammates. Charlie Arnold joins us now from Outkick. Charlie, hope things are well. Uh, things are great. Uh, you didn't get the memo apparently, but I have been deemed a very special in this 
case guest of the show. So I'm happy to be here. I, I, I refer to Charlie as special guest co-host. Oh, wow. And she liked it so much, Hutton, that she has now requested it in her contract to only be referred to as yeah. special guest, not just guest co-host, special That's guest very- co-host. And she's now watching the show that there's any guest co-host and will be yep. taking notes and writing it down if either one of us refer to that guest co-host as a quote-unquote special guest co-host, which I promised Charlie I would not do. She will be the, exactly. the lone special guest co-host of Hot Mike. Can it be special guest uh, whenever you're joining us on Mondays? Yeah, just special guest. Just throw it in there as you need, but special okay. is now a requirement. Why does Jamil Hill think she's special? So special to get $100 million from Spotify like Joe Rogan did? Or, I mean, that's where the starting point for Joe Rogan, Great segue, I'm sure. Hunt, by the way. Great segue. Uh, yeah, she said that it, she wanted somebody, you know, a, a minority, African-American, to get the same type of contract from Spotify, something she tweeted last year. Now she's parting ways with Spotify uh, and her, her uh, podcast, which, to be honest, I haven't listened to. But I think that's the point, right? It's, it, it's, it's yeah. not about who you are. It's about what you've done. And in this case, I can't point to anything that would qualify in the Rogan realm. Well, that's the thing is you you mentioned you haven't listened to her podcast. I also haven't listened to her podcast. Chad, I don't think you've listened to, to her podcast. No. And I would venture to say that the majority of our listeners have not listened to her podcast and beyond. And that's the point is that she does not have a popular podcast. It does not warrant her making big dollars like Joe Rogan, who reaches so many people each and every episode. I mean, he's one of the, you know... I, I think what, what he's got to be in the top five podcasters in the world right now. And, uh, you know, I think this is always everything just always comes back to a racial issue. This has nothing to do with race. If Joe Rogan was a black man and, and equally as talented as he is right now, he would still be making the same amount of money. Uh, but Jamel Hill consistently throughout her career, as you've seen, she always puts herself in the victim's shoes where, you know, she has been wronged and it's everybody else's fault that she doesn't have the proper platform or she's not given the privileges that she thinks she should be. Uh, This is the Jamel Hill that we have known and, you know, I won't say loved uh, for years now. So it's not surprising at all to hear her say these words. But I think when you challenge a company like Spotify, who they themselves realize that has nothing to do with race. It has strictly to do with talent and what you bring, the value you bring to their platform. They don't like to be shamed. They don't like to be confronted publicly. It's just not a good look. And now Jamel Hill is out of a job, it seems. You know, I, in this whole thing, it, it really begs the question for me. I, I've always just kind of assumed, Charlie, that, well, there's an audience for everything, right? Like there's whatever the side is, whatever the opinion is, perspective, there's going to be an audience for it. And all of this has me asking, does Jamel Hill even have an audience? Has she ever really had an audience? It all seems sort of fake to me in that she continued to get opportunities and everything she got at ESPN, the ratings would go down for it. Then she gets, it's not in the top 200 on Spotify. This podcast that Spotify was even marketing to the hilt. Uh, her book gets no sales. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that someone with this, this many Twitter followers doesn't seem to really have a substantive audience at any turn. I, I just find that whole thing fascinating. We're talking about her. I know her name, yet mm-hmm. I really can't point to what the Jamel Hill audience is other than the victim complex you talked about. But who's listening to a show about that, right? Well, that's the thing is that's what I was going to say. She is 
you know, highly regarded by other people who consider themselves to be victim or find every issue that needs, you know, that that is not a racial issue that needs to become one. Uh, that's Jamel Hill's audience. Um, she's not talking to the vast majority of people. She's talking to a very small group of people who feel the same way that she does. And that's why she hasn't been successful. And she probably won't be successful because she just won't drop it. At each and every stage of her career, she continues to raise issues that don't need to be raised. And until she stops that and really reflects on, you know, what what can I bring for my audience uh, that they are looking for? I, I don't see what direction she intends for her career to go in. I mean, this is, we're flip-flopping here. Whereas at one point in time, people maybe were looking for things to be a little more controversial, even when they didn't need to be. Now people are going the complete opposite way and saying, please just leave us alone. Yeah, Charlie Arnold with us here on Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow. Charlie, so from the perception that Chad's talking about, for me, I felt like ESPN played into, does is there an audience for Jamel Hill? Yes. Uh, based on the way she would speak up and, and give her opinion on things, voice her opinion on things, you and I, the three of us have talked. There, there are other women at ESPN that didn't feel like they could step up and say and give their opinion on things the same way that Jamel Hill was allowed to do. Uh, with that in mind, I feel like now I'm starting to see more personalities, um, uh, females step up and speak their mind. Are you seeing that trend now turn more towards the actual middle ground of having a, 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 a very genuine discussion on both sides instead of hearing one way and silent on the other? Well, I don't know that I would say that I'm seeing it a ton. I think we have a couple specific examples that we can cite such as uh, Sam Ponder mm -hmm. and Sage Steele. But other than that, and then Stephen A. Smith, of course, he he's a different, he's an exception, okay? We won't even put him uh, along with everybody else because he has his own, you know, podcast now where he broaches a lot of subjects that would never be touched on ESPN. Uh, but you are seeing people step up and speak up. But I wouldn't say that there's a debate around it because for what we've seen so far just recently, Sam Ponder came out and spoke out against transgendered athletes in women's sports. And immediately we had one of the columnists from USA Today completely come after her, drag her name through the mud, calling her a bigot, uh, to which she responded, biology is not bigotry. Thank you. Here we go. Uh, but ESPN didn't so much as defend her. They didn't mention it. They didn't say, listen, while this is her opinion, we, you know, we value Sam Ponder. Uh, we value creating an open forum to discuss this type of thing. There was nothing, not no addressing of this subject at all. Uh, but yet, on the other hand, we saw they did the tribute to Leah Thomas during uh, Women's Month. They raised the trans flag at the start of Pride Month on campus. Uh, so maybe that's their indication of, of which side of this issue that they're on. Uh, but no, I don't think that we're even close to having a healthy debate on the issues that need to be debated. Uh, but closer, I, I, because, I mean, you've told us, like, it, it, there are times where no one would speak up. You know, you had the untouchables, and then there were certain things you just didn't bring up if those people brought up certain topics. I'm at least seeing them discuss things now publicly that privately, they're, I mean, I'm sure there are mm -hmm. many that texted you whenever you left ESPN for OutKick and said, hey, congrats, I wish I could do the same thing. I'm at least seeing Sam Ponder and others finally put their opinion out there. Even yeah. if ESPN doesn't publicly back them, at least they're not, they're not facing something behind the scenes 
as to why they were afraid to speak their mind in the first place. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I think there's a little bit of a, we'll call it a, a power dynamic here because ESPN, obviously under the umbrella of Disney, follows a certain political agenda. Mm-hmm. But I think they also realize that fans have become very intelligent uh, or audience, the audience has become very intelligent. Uh, so there's only so far you can push your audience to when they then realize, okay, I'm being manipulated here. So I think if Sam Ponder were to speak up, and even though they don't defend her, I think I think if ESPN were to persecute her or there be repercussions for what she said, I think there would be a lot of unhappy ESPN viewers who maybe then would go to the lengths of boycotting the network because this is a debate that does deserve to be heard, like we just mentioned. And by shutting down any semblance of that debate and punishing a talent who chooses to speak up using common sense and, you know, turning to science as a way to state facts rather than just feelings, uh, that would just be a really bad move. So I think ESPN is treading very carefully when it comes to all this. So, Charlie, speaking of common sense, there was a big victory for all of us uh, that are fans of common sense that happened in Vermont, of all places, uh, with the Vermont school system having to pay out $125,000 because there was a girl on a girls' volleyball team that was suspended for raising an issue with a male, a biological male, wanting to share the locker room. And she went to a school official and said, it's literally a dude that's in the locker room with us. And she was suspended for that. Her family sued for $125,000 and they won. And this has been seen by the legal team as a resounding victory for freedom of speech. What do you make of this story and how good of news is this for everyone on the side of common sense? Well, first of all, it's fantastic news, and I think this is what we're going to be seeing more to, more of, uh, students and parents piling on litigation to different school districts, schools, states. Um, I, I don't even know all of the levels this could reach, uh, but we did also just see over the past couple days a Connecticut uh, father and daughter sue the state of Connecticut because there have been several instances of transgender athletes winning championships in track and field. And it's like, you know, there, there's there's no debate here. We, all, we know that men have a biological advantage, but getting back to this uh, specific example, uh, this is a huge victory because I remember when this took place, I think it was back in the fall. Uh, it was a group of girls volleyball players who raised the issue of, hey, we are not comfortable being in the locker room with a guy. And because they said something, they were seen as being hateful and they were punished by the school and they were suspended. And it's just like none of it made sense at that point. Uh, So I think this is great. I think the school system also you probably saw they tried to make a little bit of an excuse as to why they settled they were, you know, we didn't want to get into the funds and pay all of the defense costs. So just to make it easier and, and more cost effective, we decided to settle. That's not why they decided to settle. They decided to settle because they knew they were wrong and they would never ultimately win this case. And as a part of this, too, the girl's father was removed as like the middle school soccer coach or something. So now he's automatically reinstated there. And he he was removed just based on a a Facebook post or something like it wasn't even at the event or it's so stupid. Uh, All he did was say he identified a male as a male is what he did. Exactly. Can you imagine sending your daughter to school or to her sporting event and knowing that there's going to be 
a guy in the locker room with her. I mean, changing, showering. and It's why and I pay for private school, Charlie. I mean, I have two daughters. I'll be completely up front. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I, and I, I grew up a public school kid. Went to public school throughout. And public. I mean, you raise a great question. That's I want say over that, and I don't think I'll have say if it continues yeah. this way. If we don't start getting more judgments like this, uh, it's it's going to go a, a way that I'm not comfortable with it going when government controls education. So that's why I like to have some say over it, even if it costs me a lot of money in private school. Yeah, it's, it's a great question by you. And we'll be discussing the Connecticut case with uh, the attorney for that case, uh, Christiana oh, Kiefer, well, will join us later this week. I believe on Thursday is when she'll be with us. Um, okay, so guns points uh, – he put the ball on the tee for us here at, at outkick.com. Mike Gunzelman, uh, the gun show. Gun show, baby. So he's posing the question, if someone invites you to a wedding, but you don't care about the couple and you don't attend the wedding, are you obligated to purchase or send a gift to the new couple? Where do you come down on this, Charlie? What is the proper etiquette based on the fact that you don't really care about the couple and you feel like you were invited simply because they know that you're likely to send a gift? You know, what's so funny. I was just having this conversation with a uh, couple of my friends who are together. They were invited to a wedding solely and they were invited over uh, DM on Instagram. 10 days before the wedding, because there was a quota that the couple had to hit in order for the venue to even accept uh -huh. them as being able to have their wedding there. So they had to have a certain number of people. And I think a certain like a couple of people backed out last minute. So they were like, hey, friends, you know, friends, uh, you want to come to our wedding? And I mean, obviously they didn't feel obligated and it's like last minute and it was expensive. It was, you know, somewhere abroad and they were like, no, we're not going to make it. Um, but I think in situations like this that are really extreme where it's kind of a pity invite or they're just looking to fill seats. Absolutely not. You should not have any obligation to even send a gift at that point. But I do think just in general, the whole gift giving phenomenon has gotten so out of control because a lot of people don't realize that on top of the gift, you're paying to go to their wedding because people don't make it simple anymore. There are very few weddings, at least that I've gone to lately, that are convenient, that are down the street, that I can take an Uber to, that I can, you know, whatever. A lot of them require travel, which is then a plane ticket, Ubers once you hit the ground, accommodations, food. I mean, it gets very expensive, an outfit for the wedding. Um, and then on top of that, you know, you have like the price guidelines of what's acceptable to give a couple. And every time I go to a wedding, I always look it up and it's like, what is an acceptable price for me to go to a wedding for a gift? What if I have a plus one? And it just is so outrageous. It's somewhere along the lines of like 200, $250, which that's a lot of money yeah. uh, when you're already oh, yeah. shelling out the cash for all of the other uh, details that go along with it. Let me make a hard and fast rule for the three of us and, and, and for this show in general. If you were invited to a wedding via social media DM, not only are you not required to send a gift to that wedding, you're not required to reply to the DM of someone that invites you via DM. This has happened to me one time, and I liked the guy enough, and he was a high school sports teammate of mine, where I was invited to his party. wedding with a week or two's notice, <laughs> similar to Charlie's friend story, a week or two notice. Hey, we're going to get married at this place. You know, If you want to come by, I'd love to see you. Come to the reception. And I like the guy enough to re reply and say, I'm actually going to be out of town uh, that weekend. If I was or not, I'm not even sure. But said I wasn't going to be able to make it. Open bar? But that I, was I'm going to say you're not even required to respond to the DM. If that's how, if I'm not getting nice letterhead, 
like invitation yeah, exactly. in the mail to the I wasn't really invited. If I get that, I'm going to give you a gift or well, go to the wedding and give you a gift. But if not, I'm not even re- hitting reply to that DM at that point. And here's the other thing in, in, uh, listen, I don't really care uh, because I know how annoying thank you notes are, but the past two weddings that I have gone to, I haven't so much as gotten a thank you, even over text for the gift, nothing. And I'm talking, I'm, I'm spending, you know, the, what, you know, Google has suggested to me 250 bucks and uh, not so much as a thank you. So I feel like, I don't even know if they realize who's sending them what gifts. They probably just open them all at once. No, I think they know. I think they know now because of the uh, you now have the registry online. Like I, if I get something, I'm racing to get the. I, I don't want to be stuck with you know the six hundred dollar <laughs> vacuum. You know I'm going for the the, the placemats. Right, you know, for Charlie, the, the future need, family. Charlie, you need more courteous friends. See, this I, is what I'm hearing. I, I, I've never not received a thank you note I for giving think, a wedding gift. But I do think that it's much easier to keep a list of who gets you something and who doesn't based on the online registry and not like wrap gifts that are being brought to the wedding. I never see that yeah. anymore. Yeah, exactly. You're right. It's uh, there. There's, there's a lot a of judgments. A lot of judgments hey, look, being passed around. It's solved. It's solved. All right. We solved all these issues right here on this show. It's done. Let's put it in writing. Let's write it in our show constitution, Outkick Constitution. We've made all the rules. This is perfect. I think weekly we should come up with a a you know fifty percent one way fifty percent fair or foul fair, type thing. Yeah, like a rule. We rewrite a rule based yeah. on a, a very and then, controversial and then there's situation. Actually, like a book that's created, and we yeah. should have a running book of what is acceptable and what is not, and that is the law. Judges ruling. Uh, and I'm, put, I'm writing it down right now, and I'm writing down these so, new rules on wedding gifts. Fi- Google really suggested 250 bucks as a proper wedding gift price? I think that's what it is. It's something around, I mean, I think it's, yeah, about $125 a person, I mean, uh, they say, is, is an acceptable amount. Chad, your but, thoughts? You know, I'm sure there's a few sites that might it's, dispute that. You know, there's, I might see, have been looking at the this, more expensive, but I don't okay, know. Okay, I would was say this, $100. Bucks. Was this Google search just focused on Cape Cod? I mean, yeah. that's the richest yeah, exactly. places in the country for exactly. $250. That's my response to that. That's a little steep. <laughs> it's a little steep for, I, for know, the rest of America. You know who's asking for that? Someone that's asking on 10 days notice for a wedding abroad. That's Right. Yeah. And if someone's dumb enough to say, oh, I just got invited to a wedding 10 days out. Let me get a $250 plus gift. Then that's the type of friend we should all have. Charlie Arnold, our, our special guest. Special guest. Here on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow. Good to see you, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Perfect. See you guys. Yep, there's, Thanks, uh, Charlie. New Outkick host, Charlie Arnold. Uh, great to have her a part of the Outkick network. Chad, uh, judges ruling. We just made our first I, I, law. I like judges ruling. Wait, 250 bucks, though, is a steep price. I Very think. Very steep. For the average wedding. Great friends, all good. I'm fine with that price. Never thought I'd say this, but Google needs to clean it up. They need to clean up their act. Yeah. Their, their algorithm is off, if, if that's the suggestion. I'm going to ask ChatGBT instead. No, they're going to give you the right answer. <laughs> they gave John Morant the right answer on his apology, they on did. his statement that he made. It was very easy to find out, though. Hey, uh, there is a, an epic father fail at a baseball game. The Columbia Regional. It uh, doesn't matter who was playing. No one was really in attendance. Uh, it was NC State and Campbell. Video and reaction from the coach and softball father, Chad Withrow, next on Hot Mike. Nuggets play-by-play voice Chris Marlowe will join us in roughly 30 minutes. Looking forward to that. Series tied 1-1. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Ehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, I would like to uh, blame this 
dad fail on moonshine or on beer, but it's, it's not. Seventh inning of the Columbia Regional, an all-time dad fail. But get your take as he's holding his child and going for a foul ball, falls and trips over his own feet, and then the child lands headfirst smacking against the sidewalk. I mean, this is awful all over a foul ball in the seventh inning of a game that no one was attending or likely watching. I hope the kid is okay, first off. Um, but it is I, – I don't know that that guy should be a dad. <laughs> Watch that. Yeah. Let's go through the list. Or if, if he's allowed to be a father, uh, should be holding the kid yeah, after you know, a foul ball that's bouncing. Didn't catch it. He wasn't even trying to catch it in the air. It just bounced well, in front of him. He ran after it. It doesn't take much to be a father. It takes a lot to be a dad or the vice versa. I'm not sure how it goes. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got part of it right. I'm yeah, sure. it's half and half. I'll it's take either your word dad for it. or father. Like It's easy to be a father, but not easy to be a dad. Or it's easy to be a dad. Not a, I don't know. Yeah. Either way. Your lineage uh, would certainly vouch for that. Yes. Uh, Frederick Von Schmidt <laughs> actually lived by that mantra. So, so many different things. Let's go through the list of things that he should have done in this situation. One, not care about a foul ball. In a sparsely attended college baseball Seventh game while inning. holding your kid, especially. Yeah. Nowhere, Two, not close to him. The child is not in a baby Bjorn. It's not attached to you. Right. Put Set the kid down. If you're going to go for the ball, it's very easy to lean over, hey, buddy, and set the kid on the ground and then go catch the ball. Um, those are the top two options. Or just don't go after the foul ball. Just stand That's top there. Option. Here's the top option. If you are an attentive parent, you see the ball coming your direction. You either brace your kid mm-hmm. that the ball is coming, turn around, take one off the back if you need to. If it's a foul ball that way, get out of the way. Yes. If you see it the way he saw the foul ball, you get your child out of harm's way. Like the, like the parent did when he caught the, yes. the splintered bat. Yeah, came over and, and with, yes, caught the splintered bat in front of his kids. Get the child out of harm's way. That's all you should care about. Not the foul ball. Yeah. Certainly not getting a foul ball at a college baseball game. Even a major league baseball game. Get your kid out of the way if you see it coming. There are, there are some sports fans that are just all in on a foul ball. It's like you know hitting a hole in one or something to them. I wonder what the reaction is minus to the, the friends uh, and family minus of this the guy. the round of beer on the house. When they realize this or is him, by him. And he has to admit it's him. Oh, I, I don't think it was the video. That would, I think it's the kid's head that would uh, acknowledge. Yeah, because you can see the kid crying. The issue. I mean, it, it looked like uh, Tua Tagovailoa in Cincinnati. And also, you know, have some balance. Just, <laughs> we have a good friend who would say, Hutton, just don't fall. <laughs> you know? Just don't fall. <laughs> If you're going to do all the steps I gave you that you should have followed to avoid this, possi- this uh, possible problem, do those first. But then if you're going to be an idiot, keep your feet. Show so, some ring savvy here. You and, don't and go, need to get all your momentum going where you're falling to the ground like this. The, the, the ball needs to mean something, like it did for TCU. Trey Richardson hit two grand slams in the first two innings in TCU's game against Arkansas. Um I've never seen anything like this. Was the final score something like 20 to 5? It was 6 nothing when he hit his second one. I think it was, uh, I, I saw a final on set, just he, on the oh, ticker. The way, it was like 20 or 22 to 5. Two grand slams and a two-run homer later in the game. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good day. That, that right there, that is, uh, my soft friends, serve. that's 10 RBIs just with those three home runs. You think he's drug tested today? He should be, if not. <laughs> I mean, if I was Arkansas, if I'm Arkansas's coach, I'm certainly requesting a drug test before the next game against them. Can we get this guy tested quickly? I'm taking him right to the the home facility, 
after the game. I mean, you actually you come with me. There's an NCAA official in here who'd like to talk to you. Yeah, you get the paperwork on the locker, and he's got a syringe. Not two, the type of syringe you're used to. Two salamis. Props to Richardson winning the weekend, man. Good for him. Yeah. Long balls galore, by the way, in college baseball. Long balls a lot of mashing. met with guys slinging bats in the opposing dugout after hitting it. Coming up, the Heat. They're making this a series in the NBA Finals. They're not supposed to, and they're not supposed to be where they are. But the series is tied 1-1. And now the momentum is headed to Miami. We lead there next on Hot Mike. 